Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoterra Nerd Podcast, Episode 15, Silence, in which we interview Silence, the Aquarian. But first... Today's episode, and indeed everything you see around you, is brought to you in part by... Mest. One, a coined word, meaning matter, energy, space, and time. The physical universe. All physical phenomena may be considered as energy operating in space and time. The movement of matter or energy in time is the measure of space. All things are mest, except theta. Two, the symbol for the physical universe in use hereafter is mest. From the first letters of the words matter, energy, space, and time, or the Greek letter phi. 3. Simply a composite of energies and particles and spaces which are agreed upon and which are looked at. 4. A solid object, and the space and energy and so forth, which comprise such solid objects. 5. Any or all arrangements of energy, of whatever kind, whether in fluid or object form, in space or spaces. If you would like to follow along at home with the tech support segment of the Esoteric Nerd Podcast, just go to Google and punch in the letters T-E-C-H-D-I-C-T dot PDF. All the knowledge, none of the bullshit. But I do recommend staying away from the actual organization. Tonight's interview is with Silence the Aquarian. This is someone who I came into contact with on Facebook by way of mutual friends in the Source family primarily. And it turns out we have uh, quite a few things in common. Among them is uh, we live within about a half-mile radius of one another. So this interview actually took place in person. It's a long interview, so without further ado, let's get to that interview, shall we? <laughs> Greetings, brother! Greetings, brother. Silence the Aquarium. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. Welcome to the Esoterra Nerd Podcast. So it's a trip. Okay, so basically, there was somehow through the ethers, through the wires, through the Facebook, I got the word out. I said, hey, world, I'm Pymander the Aquarian. Jin gave me the name. And then an echo came back from how many blocks away? Just over Obama Mountain. Okay, so like right over there? About like five minutes away. Right so over like a half a mile saying... I'm Silence the Aquarian. <laughs> Jin gave me my name too. So we're second generation Aquarians through Jin's shenanigans. And so we're brothers in that. What a thing to be brothers in. So Jin, if you're listening to this, I think it'd be cool if uh, maybe you and, and, and the two of us uh, did an episode together. That would be rad. I think that'd be great. The synchronicities that brought all of us together. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, like, I feel like I'm part of the family, but I also feel like a special connection to Jin because. You know, he gave he gave me my name. You know, so it's interesting to meet someone with that exact same 
scenario. So, so tell me a little bit about uh, about how that came about, and and how if it, if he said anything about it when he gave it to you, or if you have any. Well, my my experiences with meeting this source family, um, gosh, go back to right before my first son was born. Um, I just moved to Los Feliz, um, and I was kind of at the beginning of a set of experiences that I didn't even really know how to put into words. Um, my now wife and I were playing in a band at the time. Um, we went up to play at the Burning Man Decompression Street Fair in San Francisco, um, and I got... I'd been reading Carl Jung's uh, On Synchronicities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a psychologist. That's what I do. I study psychology and theology at Fuller. Oh, um, inter- Interestingly, as I was reading this book, so many things within the book began to manifest physically in my life. And that was something I didn't really have a category for. And frankly, I was a little bit embarrassed to even talk to anybody about it because I felt like I was kind of stepping out into the deep end. Yeah. And having grown up in a fundamentalist Pentecostal church where people were very, very extremely emotional and what I perceive as overly mystical in retrospect, I was kind of almost in reaction mode against things that were that experiential. Yeah. And so I began having these experiential things happening all of a sudden again, and um, I didn't really have a whole lot of categories for it. Um, uh, One of them, uh, our our band was playing at the Compression Street Fair. We ended up staying... Uh, because of another set of synchronicities, in the mansion where um, the Merry Pranksters used to party. I'm not familiar um, with this. It's, it's the old Russian embassy. Uh, Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters, they're basically a set of people that introduced LSD. Oh. Uh, he was the Timothy Leary of the West Coast. Oh, okay. Uh, Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. Um, and in terms of uh, West Coast bohemian history, I mean, they, they had a significant role. Um I, I tend to read books and sets, and while I was up there, I was like, oh, this is interesting history. The Grateful Dead and Ken Kesey, the Mary Pranksters, used to do acid here. Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself with my wife and my bandmates, you know, going up the staircase. The guy who lived there was showing us around the house. He's showing us where Anton LaVey used to live. He used to live there. Still claw, ma- claw marks on the uh, door frame from the panther that he kept hidden in the room. <laughs> so there we are, uh, smoking out in a, in a room, wallpapered with original Fillmore posters and so I've, I've got to read the electric Kool-Aid acid test. So I, I pick up that book, and lo and behold, they had been reading Carl Jung's On Synchronicities. Huh. And so there's all these layers of synchronicities that started kind of emerging from that that I still didn't know what to do with. Um, it was around the time I'd had um, a somewhat profound mushroom uh, experience with a, a group of friends that I tend to camp with at Burning Man mm. um, in a house in Echo Park overlooking the Griffith Observatory. Also, shortly before I found out I was going to become a father, um, my wife and I decided to get a place together in Los Feliz, and just it, it was during a time where synchronicities were speeding up. People were just walking into our lives, and we ended up having this kind of cool communal existence. The, the kind of thing I'd always kind of wanted, and it was really happening, is I felt like I was becoming this other person. Um, there's this saying, the child is the father of the man. I know Brian Wilson has a song called called Child as a Father of the Man, and uh, actually Father Yode had, had used the same quote hmm. a few times. Um, and I felt like in the, in the process of having created a life, I was becoming this this, this greater version of myself. Um, I was leaving this cocoon behind, and something was emerging, and this fantastic community was emerging there in Los Feliz. Um, well, I walked down to 
to Wacko's, my favorite Bizarro Emporium bookstore at Art Gallery, where, where all the great pop surrealism from LA get started. Um, and I met Phil. Hmm. Phil was working there at the time. He played in a, in a fantastic band that was touring with Montreal for a while. Um, we just had this instant soul connection. And a lot of people I met during that time, it was just like we locked eyes, and it's like we knew each other. Mm-hmm. And Phil was one of those people. And you're, you're kind of one of those people, Ed. You are one of those people. And, mm. um, um, so Phil and I were, were bonding. He pulled out the book of the Source family and says, you need to read this. Mm. So I, I take it home, and I'm walking down the sidewalk. Um, I walk about five blocks back to my apartment, right behind by 62. I'm walking down the sidewalk, and there's Phil. He's standing in front of me. And I'm trying to figure this out. And the first thing I, the only thing I could think of was having grown up in a Pentecostal church. We always heard the story of uh, Philip, one of the uh, early church fathers. Uh, uh, the one who got skinned, right? Or no. I'm not sure what happened Philip, to Philip. Was he Nathaniel? There was no. Nathaniel was Bartholomew. Philip was the guy. Was he one of the twelve or was he like after the twelve? Oh, that's a good question. But anyway, there, there's a story in the New Testament. I'm in rusty. the book of Acts. Where he, where God picks him up and transports him in the spirit. And he reappears somewhere else. I think he's the one who got skinned in Armenia. Oh, well, no, that. no, that was Bartholomew. I hope that doesn't happen to Phil. Philip. Okay, to our Phil. We okay. don't want him to get skinned. Well, anyway, no, no, no. There no. are a lot of Armenians in East Hollywood, so Phil, be careful. Yeah, no, there's the feast day of, of St. Nathaniel. The, the Armenian Orthodox feel really guilty and, and light candles and, and, and get really thoughtful about how their ancestors skinned him alive. And uh, on the Sistine Chapel, that's he's the one that's holding a skin, like a skin suit of himself. They don't show him as like muscle man because that would have been gross back then. If it was now, of course, then you know that's starting to sound like a South Park episode. I know, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, South Park. There's oh. Phil, just like the just like the the Apostle Phil, materializing in front of me, mm. and and I'd had such a set of bizarre synchronous experiences. I'm just like, okay, why not? Is this what you got for me, universe, God, whatever? Let's do this. And Phil looked at me, and we looked at each other and said, well, I guess we weren't finished talking. Here, come back to my place. Huh. And as it turns out, um, he didn't materialize in thin air. Uh, shortly after he sold me the book, his boss said, hey, can you take this package of things to the post office, which is right across the street? Mm. So he drives the back way, parks his car, goes to the post office, and so by the time I walk in there, Right, right. So there was an explanation. But, but... still... <laughs> But still, it was a phenomenal synchronicity. Yeah. Because just that that happened. Yeah. And so we walked back to my house. And at the time, um, I, I kind of lay low with a lot of substances these days, being a father. Right. You know, and, and that period's almost over. <laughs> Say almost. Um, but it, it, was, it was in the tradition of let's smoke a bowl together. And, and I never was a daily smoker. And it was always a sacramental thing when I did smoke. Hmm. So it was, it was a sacramental thing. We smoked and we shared and come to find out while we were talking, um, I'm looking at this book, and, and I'm like, you know, it's interesting. I heard that the Source family had a restaurant out on Sweetser on Sunset, and I, I just drove out there yesterday. He's like, I was out there yesterday. And, and we just both realized something had called us out there at the same time. Hmm. We didn't see each other, but we were out there at the same time. And then here we were talking about this stuff. Yeah. And so we're trying to... In a way, trying to figure out what it meant, but in a way, not just kind of letting these things. Letting happen. it be, yeah. Like, okay, is it is it a ghost? Is it a past life? Right. Is it a? And I started getting this feeling that I was part of the source family. And right. I'm, I'm I'm like I'm I'm asking people, okay, is there somebody that died on January twelfth, nineteen seventy two? 
because I feel well, like I was there. Well, sometimes, I mean, the Dalai Lama spent, or no, it was the Karmapa who spent, like, was it eight years or four years? Oh, I forget. It'd be, it's interesting to look at, like, the documented, uh, how long people spend in the Bardo when they document it. It's like three to eight years sometimes. So, I mean, that's interesting. And if I remember correctly, you had a similar thought. When you were talking right. to the Aquarians yeah. at that one interview. Well, yeah, I mean, I uh, I don't like to blurt it out usually, but when I uh, first heard about it, I was like, oh, fuck, that was me, you know, because, like, I mean, it must be, you know, I mean, I was, like, pretty convinced, actually. So, I mean, I was pretty, like, well-driven to, like, seek these people out and, like, that start, start, you know, doing a lot of yoga so that I could be the old man sitting in <laughs> lotus position who's, who, who's able to actually, cause I, what, what I was at the time that I became aware of the Source family was I was deeply saturated and deeply entrenched in the Western system, particularly Golden Dawn, and mm-hmm. locked into this weird political fucking bullshit struggle thing that was just draining my life out. And uh, so I was in the worst of the worst of the West. And I had kind of left my Eastern practice behind many, many, many years earlier. And so then I saw the Source family. I'm like, that was my original idea. You know, when when, uh, well, when my mom died, and I was still into the, like, the raising the Tantra and all this stuff, and uh, co- combining Tantric rituals. Practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And combining it with West and, and Western right. and Wiccan, you, you, you know, even. I think your original question was how I got the name. Yeah. And this is my kind of convoluted tell of how... It came about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so Phil and I are trying to sort this out. And where did I meet Jen? I, I honestly can't remember. Hmm. Um, but somehow, I ended up looking him up. Oh no! I found out his. I found out he was going to be playing at the new Los Angeles Folk Festival at the Zorthian Ranch. Oh, another amazing cult. I love that. Yeah, a cult location from old. Los Angeles. I used to hang out the there. Days. The people who lived there used to do their laundry here back in the 90s when the temple was like brand brand new. And, wow. And so there's a connection between Zorthian and this house. And this house, yeah. And I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. There was, like it was, everybody was like doing a figure eight between this house and Zorthian's ranch and between uh, the end of 97 and, and August of 98. It was the same people over there that were over here. And a lot of them didn't know who the hell I was. They didn't know it was my house. You know, they were just, there was like, and then there were rumors about what was going on up here. This was like all black and white tile. This was black curtains, black ceiling, all the furniture. It was like that. That's my own spin on it. Okay. In there, the the traditional Golden Dawn Temple has a particular look that you can kind of see, you can recognize in that if you're mm. familiar with it. But uh, it's different from that. You know, it's like there's no open windows for one. You know, like you know, it's it's. Uh, there were people who had it underground. There was, and in Switzerland, six stories underground. Wow. And yeah, yeah. So these nature people would come along and be like, fuck this. You know, like <laughs> literally in like a bunker, you know. Let me say before before I finish the uh, the, the Aquarian name story, mm-hmm. just my being here is kind of a trip for me. Mm-hmm. Because having grown up fundamentalist Pentecostal, anybody that was remotely a cult was a Satanist. Mm. So this is in the 80s. All right? I'm a youth group teenager in the 80s. We're burning rock albums because we're convinced that demons are associated. Oh, which bands? We were indiscriminate. <laughs> we threw ACDC in there, but we also oh, had well, Ke- yeah. we also had Kenny Loggins burning on that fire. Huh? That that evil Satanist Kenny Loggins. I I know when uh, Personal Jesus came out, there were there, there was a the, the boys uh, Christian magazine my grandma had subscribed for me uh, was was pretty upset about the uh, backside of that young lady. I think was the exact phrase. Do you remember the occult scare from the eighties though? I mean. 
I see. I grew up in a really evangelical oh, wing of Christianity. I don't know. I, do. I think yours was a little bit more Protestant. Well, I like, this guy. My dad was. He, you know, we were going, oh, you know, and talking shit about my my silly Christian. Grandma. Okay. Meanwhile, I was going to church with my grandma and going, okay, grandma. But I was like, my dad. The way he taught me was that when we would do like the chakra work and we'd get mm-hmm. up to this part, right, and we'd awaken the chest. We'd do all this love, you know, love, That's love. That's the heart love. center, right? Yeah, yeah. The sacred heart But of then Christ. we'd go up to here, and then we'd go up to here, and then we'd go up to here. And his explanation is that, you know, uh, if the Christians do it right, they, they at least get up to here. And <laughs> so right. whenever I'd go out with my grandma to church and we'd pray, I'd be like, you know, and I'd have like this pink love light, and uh, but I'd do it for Jesus, you know, like in the, right. with Jesus instead of Buddha in mind. And uh, so, from the very beginning, I was reconciling the two. I read a quote my today that, that kind of helped me reconcile some of that. It just simply said that uh, those who are truly enlightened are no longer um, interested in judging those who aren't. Right. Because I, I, I can be. No, because I can be a little oh, judgmental God. towards my yeah. counterparts back in Kentucky, who I still get in regular face Facebook duels with on a yeah, pretty yeah. regular basis. The '80s scare in Kentucky, the '80s mm-hmm. occult scare. We thought that Satanists were were in every town wearing black cloaks and waiting to come and steal our children at nighttime, rape them and kill them and eat them by a big bonfire in the woods while they went hopping about wearing antler horns. Meanwhile, David and, um, J. was playing on that. No, no, actually, he was doing Love and Rockets by then, but like the, these goth kids in the 80s were like playing on that. And, right. Like, they were like, like the, this the, the serious out. vampires. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, that's um, fun. Of course, they were like the version they were like, staying in their mom's basement wishing that they had superpowers, you know. Well, it's interesting to think about because we remember before the internet. And that's right. a big deal. People, people are burned now. They will know, never know. I mean, they can think about it, but we actually, we still, we're the, like the last ones who are going to remember it. I mean, this is like a punctuated leap in evolution. Yeah. We're, we're like the hinge. We're the hinge generation. We remember when people were like, do you think it's this? Do you think it is? There's no way to know. Let's put on the radio and see if they're talking about it right now on one of the stations. Really? I mean, you know, or let's go to the library, you know, like at two in the morning. I mean, you know, the, the old dictum as above, so beneath. Well, what if this is the so beneath manifestation of, of the... Of something uh, that was going of the, on um, above. What, what is oh. the, the occult word for that? At the uh, Akashic Record. Right. Yeah, what if the internet is the physical manifestation of that? Oh, yeah. Well, so's the brain, though. Oh, that's kind of true. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, that, so back to my paranoia. So, so the fact that I'm coming here, I'm like looking over my shoulder, like, okay, is right. this the part where he's going to try to extract no, blood? No, no, yeah. You know, it's like, a, and we have to wear like a cloak of some sort. Um, so uh, I go and I meet Jen at the Zorthian Ranch. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. and what a great place and, to meet Jim. Um, I just got a new job, um, so I was afraid to smoke out with him, but he invited me into his van to, mm. to smoke out. I was like, oh. go ahead. But we had the most engaging, intense conversation just sitting That's there in beautiful. the van. And this kind of soul connection, and I introduced him to Phil later, and he, he did a few uh, Kabbalah lectures at Phil's Loft. Mm. Uh, Phil, the... Uh, the Apostle Phil, for lack of a better word. Yeah. <laughs> Who I need to do research on because I used to know about. I think maybe he went to Greece. I think what it was is it was boring. Phil went to Greece and got himself killed. It was simple. I think it was a regular crucifixion. No, he, he did like the a, ancient Phil. No, no, no. Yeah, the, the <laughs> Apostle. Because they all got killed except for John, right? Okay, let's see how much of a Bible nerd we are. All right. John got boiled in water, didn't he? No, John lived to a ripe old age and like, you know, had... Right, right. Because he, 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 he went, he was there with Jesus. No, they did boil He was the only one who went, went through it vicariously at the base of the cross. So okay. he was spared 
having to go through some horrible torture. Right. Well, the rest of them were hiding, so it was sort of like, oh, well, you know, it's going to come later, guys, you know. So Peter was crucified upside down in Rome, and then they buried him and they built the Vatican on it. Because Jesus said, I will build my church on you, and you'll be a rock that oh, I'll build shit. my church so, on. So you think he's physically under the Vatican? No, he is. Yeah. They've See, gone I, down there and said, oh, here it is. I was That's so, where I was so is. Pentecostal Protestant that we thought the Catholic was the whore of Babylon. Oh, they are. <laughs> <laughs> but, but maybe For in a sure. good way. No, yeah. <laughs> well, Pope whore Francis in the sense of selling sweet. out, and Babylon in the sense of the center of civilization. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, you know, but we all are. Like, I mean, the, in that metaphor, in the Revelation metaphor, when I, when I was trying to sort out what this meant, that I grew up in a Christian background, and I still consider myself a progressive Christian, mm -hmm. um, but I was having all these fantastic experiences with people that are otherwise considered pagan, I really had to start digging. And it was around the same time that I had another synchronicity when I found out that Carl Jung, who, on synchronicities, he kind of, Carl Jung fucking triggered a lot of this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, his red book was going on display at the Hammer. Mm. So... I get up my whole crew together at our, at our little commune, and, and we, we partake the sacred herb, get on the bus, and head out there. And I, I buy the coffee. I buy mm. the coffee and take it home. And we started having these readings. Colors? Yes. I'll have you over sometime. Mm. Um, we started having these regular readings of it. That's great. Um, oh, and wow. as I'm reading and, and, re and kind of researching some of these archetypes and archons that he's working with, mm -hmm. um, I, I realized there was this whole stream of Christianity, Gnosticism, and, and, and the Essenes, mm. um, that they were having these experiences. They were having yeah. this version of, well, Christianity, right. for lack of a better word. Yeah. And the more I dug and read the Nag Hammadi texts and the Dead Sea Scrolls, Nag Hammadi texts, by the way, after they were discovered, they were put in Carl Jung's keeping. Mm. Probably the Catholic Church would have confiscated them. Um, but um, I began to realize there was this whole ancient stream of of Christian spirituality that I was so aligned with and that was so much about all these things that I was experiencing Yeah. Um, that a lot of people would consider occultic. And the more I dug, I realized Jesus himself, I think historically, was an Essene that the people of the Qumran community, the Dead Sea Scrolls, also there was a lay community that lived in Mount Carmel. Um, I'm going to get really weird. Edgar Casey, mm. the visionary from my home state of Kentucky, um, had this whole series of channelings and visions about the Essene community in Mount Carmel. And... And when you read the text, when you even read like Philo and, and, and I mean, evangelicals quote Josephus. Hmm. And Josephus was saying, the right. Essene well, community he was, the was, only was John the Baptist community, the and it was likely the community of Christ. There was introduced baptism. They had a vegetarian diet, nonviolence. Hmm. For the most part, there was a pretty radical sect of them that yeah. was associated with the Zealots. Um, but I just began to feel more, I found like a new home in this, that yeah. this Gnostic Essene Christian tradition. And then I started having more conversations with Phil about that and realized that the Kabbalah that he was teaching was, was by and large from the Essenes hmm. um, and, and the people predating the Essenes, the Pythagoreans. They, right. were, they were tapping into a similar thing and all the things about light and, and, and sound being just a continuum of the same energy that composes the universe. Um, and just going from a state of like fragmentation, like not knowing what these experiences mean or what my faith means, to all of a sudden having a coherent world of you again felt so good. Yeah. And the Source family was part of it. And yeah. in my dialogues with Jen, and um, I got the name when I was at the viewing of their movie over at the Cine family. And um, we, we all did a sacred herb ritual um, mm -hmm. where, you know, you hold in for six seconds. And mm -hmm. mind if I... Sure. And you hold in for six seconds. And um, 
I think Ahom was that her name? Oh, Ahom, oh. The, the, the 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 Venus, beautiful girl from from the Source family. Yeah, who's now like probably eighty, but right. she is every bit as gorgeous mother. as she was back then. She was mother Ahom. No, 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 not Ahom. She's oh. the one who lives in Hawaii. Oh, I don't know. Oh, you mean Isis? No, or? no. And Isis almost stayed at our our little communal house actually when she came for that. Oh. But I forget what happened. She ended up staying somewhere else. Yeah, I I don't know all the players. I have to admit. I'm I'm much more interested in the spirit of the thing, but I love meeting the people. I love whenever I get to. I didn't know Enoch existed before he called me on the phone, and now he exists in my world. And so, I mean, if you're hearing this and I don't know who you are, don't feel bad. Just you know, give me a call if you want. Um, you may have to, yeah, you may have to do some setup for the Source family just at the beginning of this for people yeah. that aren't familiar. Oh but, no, I, you haven't heard episode seven. <laughs> oh, good. We already set it up. How exciting! Yeah, yeah. Um. So there I'm at the viewing of, of this this uh, beautiful documentary about their cult family and, and just how they kind of created their own reality. Right. And and just that beautiful thing that you can just create this environment, this reality that just throbs and has a life of its own. And yeah. People are drawn to that. And that's kind of what we were doing in our little community, most of us, on a smaller scale. But um, I, I'd had a six-second ritual with the sacred herb. And one of the original women of the Source family was playing this guitar and singing the most ethereal, gorgeous song I've ever heard. And I just sat there at her knees while she was singing, and she was looking at my eyes the entire time. And after having the herb ritual, just, I mean, her hair was just flowing, and she just kind of became this transcendent figure, mm. almost like the, you know, the Virgin of Guadalupe paintings. And... Um, it was hard to describe what happened, but I think Jen observed me just sitting there, kind of absorbed in her song when he thought of it. And I was helping him load some things out of the van, and he looked at me and said, Can I give you a name? And uh, I was a little bit hesitant at first, because uh, I wasn't sure what all that tells. And um, no, still a lot of my, a lot of, I have a whole segment of friends that kind of sees all this woo woo shit, as they say, as, you know, being uh, something that they find embarrassing or whatever. Uh, but and here I have this whole other part of myself that I'm nurturing and that's kind of taking over the rest of me. Right. Um, and um, I said, sure. He's like, yeah, I need your permission. I'm like, all right. He's like, silence Aquarian. And um, at first, my first thought was silence. That's kind of uh, morbid or kind of inactive, inert. And yeah, I am I supposed to go over there and be quiet? Yeah, and no, I was like, does that mean yeah. I'm like, silence the Aquarian? That could be like, you know, <laughs> the guy shuts everybody up, talks too much. Man, that might fit, actually. Um, but he, you know, he said, "No, that's from the primordial silence prior to creation. That stillness with God. Yeah, of 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 the, the nameless God. That that we only have access to through manifestations that we can bear. Yeah, and and yeah, that just that, that resonated. Um, because one of the things I really took even from my Pentecostal bringing, I, I never was initiated into like a cult ritual like yourself." But in a way, when I was 12, you know, the same age Jesus was in the temple, I had this spiritual awakening myself and began to actually actively nurture this, this prayer life of praying an hour a day. And it was very evangelical. It was very Pentecostal. But like you said, you know, it'll take you up to here. Yeah. And, and, um. That's the chest chakra. He's the, the chest chakra, the sacred yeah. heart of Christ. Manipura. No, the one above Manipura. Anahata. And, I'm probably mispronouncing that. I on a hot. And I, I feel like Jen, when we were talking about this name, he kind of threaded together the beautiful parts of the tradition I grew up in 
with with this higher version of that, which I was becoming. And, you know, I, I don't think my wife even knows this. She's one of the people, frankly, that I'm, I don't know if I can really say a lot of this because she kind of starts eye rolling and kind of almost getting spooked by it or like, hmm. this is too much. Hmm. Well, there's a, there's a saying in the Golden Dawn, the Lord of the universe whom naught but silence can express. Right on. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I honestly still don't know much about the Order of the Golden Dawn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still have all that, you know, growing up in these group in the 80s where if we heard something like Golden Dawn, we would just thought you guys were like Anton well, LaVey. Yeah, but to be fair, you think the same Halloween. thing about the other weird Protestant church across town. <laughs> you don't sacrifice cats on Halloween, do you? No. Please don't. <laughs> okay. um, no, but I mean... Just as far as silence, I mean, the Golden Dawn is really, I mean, it's interesting and all, but I mean, like, silence is much more interesting, and and, uh, you can find that in Kabbalah, which is goes a little bit deeper, like, okay, there's the circles, that Golden Dawn has Kabbalah in it, but Kabbalah isn't necessarily Golden Dawn. So, for example, okay, there was this guy named, uh, something real cool, he had a really groovy name. Athanasius Kircher. And in 1623, he was a Jesuit priest, Catholic priest. Right, right. right. And so very scholarly Pope man. Pope Francis and, is a Jesuit? So he took the uh, Hebrew, the Sefer Yetzirah, read it, and he was like, hmm, well, I suppose that would look like this. And he drew that. So the Tree of Life was, was drawn by a Jesuit? Yes. It was originally drawn by a Jesuit. So the, the, Kabbalah, the, the Kabbalist praetor that used these symbols without the illustration, without the visual depiction is that the what are you, so the the Kabbalists before him oh yeah they had rings like a tree right they had uh, Malkut in the middle and then Keter on the outside and uh, we still have them in our textbooks making fun of our ancestors for thinking that it was a geocentric world and that the stars were written on the inside of a, right. a sphere on the outside but right. that's actually if you look closely at those drawings you'll find some Hebrew the Reshit HaGilgalim for instance is mm-hmm. on the uh, the inside of that sphere on the outside okay there's the uh, heavens of Isaiah for instance I mean I don't know if I should go this direction should I because we're talking if about the want. silence the yeah. silence is what's always going on right. the silence is what was going on before the beginning the silence is what's going on after the end that whatever that means the silence is what's always going on in the background and it's always what's true the vibration is going on on certain levels but only certain levels like if you key out if you key in if you key into the infrared there's some if you key out then there's none but there's always the silence and there's always the space in between everything and there's always the ein which is hebrew for there is no ein uh, for example bait lohem the place where Jesus was born, we know, a uh, house of bread, uh, is, is what it means. So, okay. so bait is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, bet. Uh, lohem is bread. So, ein lohem is like, honey, ein lohem. Okay, I'll pick some up at the store. There's no bread. Ein lohem. <laughs> okay. Ein means there is no. Huh. But in the spiritual sense, in the Kabbalah, pre this guy, before this, this is pre golden dawn. This became golden dawn. And it includes, it includes ein. But it's not, it doesn't contain it, you know? Ayn is outside of it. Ayn is beyond this. This is all just sort of play stuff. You know, like uh, the tarot, for instance. Um, you know, sometimes you want to play uh, homeless. So, you, so you, 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 get, you get ruined. You pull the ruin card and you're like, oh, fuck. You know, I, I, I cheated on my wife and now she's got pictures. And now the, the judge said, oh, fuck. You know, so you play that card and then you die and you play the death card, right? It's a game. 
But the silence is what's real. That's what's going on in the background. That's what that what produces all of this. The the ein is the is the first veil of negative existence, and then that becomes ein sof, which is ein limit. And there is no limit. So uh, when you have uh, it's like the it's like a pregnant potential. It's more yeah. than an inert. Yeah, it's not an inert. It's, active it's a nothingness. source of all. It's a, it's the it's the, right. it's the ever present source of everything that is. Which can seem like an alarming void for somebody taking a nihilistic viewpoint of it. Yeah, I mean, nihilism is sort of like, it, it presupposes a lot of things. It's like you're pl you're already playing I mean, the game and I mean, you're playing it in a certain that, way. It's been said that God's presence is hell for those who aren't ready for it, you know. God's presence, yes, I like that. My priest in the Catholic Church told me the same thing, and the way he explained it was very beautiful. He said that God's love is like a... Uh, is like a flaming fire. You know, it's like the Holy Spirit is fire and when you embrace it, you feel it in your heart and it flows through you and it's you're one with all of it. And well, you know, having had spiritual experiences by then I had leveled with him and said, "Look, uh, there's this thing called the golden dawn." And I had totally fucking told him the whole story. Right. And uh so we were kind of speaking, you know, like person to person. And uh and so he was saying for the people who insist upon not being a part of that oneness, like in reality, in the truer sense, not in necessarily in the symbols. Right. Someone could say, I reject the, the image of Jesus. I reject that particular language in which you're going to say his name. Uh, but I accept this oneness, which is actually the, what we really mean when we say Jesus. You know, so if you accept that, if you accept the actual, not the defin, not the word, but the definition, if you accept what the, what the symbol is supposed to be pointing to, it doesn't matter if you if you agree with the finger or the moon, as long as you're in tune with the sun that the moon is reflecting that the right. finger is pointing at. Right. And that, like Enoch said, that finger in one case is Father Yod, and in another case it's St. Peter, and in another case it's Siddhartha Gautama, and in another case right. it's Mohammed, and in another case it, you know, it goes on and on and wow. on. And there's all kinds of ways to get it wrong, you know, and to mistake the finger for the moon and then start chopping off people's fingers. Or and the, or there's but there's you know one way to get it right, but everybody can do it, and and you don't even need anybody else to tell you. You, you can do it on your own. You know, th this is going to sound unrelated, but it's totally related. I'll, mm. I'll pull it together in a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've been thinking about the course of evolution and how these dyads are often playing off of one another. Um, you know, you have two DNA strands, you know, linked together by how many crossbars, right, spiraling upward. And that's a theme I've often had in my meditations and in some of my psychedelic um, meditations. For sure, yeah. Um, is is this is interplay of the spirals and how when you move up, if you move up in a counterclockwise motion, if you're looking at it from above, it's that's clockwise. Mm. And counterclockwise is clockwise for right. vice versa. And and there's this hermetics, you know, saying of course that's kind of the kind of the crux of a lot of ancient esotericas, as above, so beneath. Right. And, and I think I think in a way that all this occult, esoteric stuff bubbling up under the collective unconscious is directly related to how technology manifests on the surface. Yeah. There's an artist I, I like that, that often shows here in Highland Park, and, and every one of his paintings has the same somewhere in the painting. There is no nature, there's only technology. There is no technology, there's only nature. Nice. And, and even atheists kind of, you know... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, oh, then that's often, another often have this duality yeah. between humankind and nature kind. Right. And all the shit we build. Or they can rock out of that. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of David J. Oh, uh, Love and Rockets? You cannot go against nature Because when you do 
really extreme mystical Pentecostal Southern Church in Kentucky. Uh-huh. We were just one generation away from people that are handling snakes as an act of worship. Wow. Um, uh, making up for the sins of their father, who was mm. like this derelict moonshiner who that's used to hang people. Great. Uh, Damn. But which that's a whole other story. But uh, that whole weird collective narrative that I've been trying to work off in my own karma. Yeah, I know how that goes. Yeah. But um, but um, this this whole idea that um. When I was kind of moving away from that, it kind of became really hyper-rationalist. It really kind of got lost in my mind. Mm. Um, and um, in a way, anything that was esoteric seemed like a waste of time during mm-hmm. that period. Oh, I, I can relate with that. The, I look back on the hours I spend in prayer, and I'm like, I'm like that all those hours wasted. I spent in prayer reading theology, right. I could have been... Becoming learning more, how to program. Learning how to yeah. program. Yeah. Learning, more, becoming more proficient at guitar. That's what I've been thinking. I could have been Meeting girls. Yeah, know, yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, and I'm like... What? Well, I was what able to for? impress Janie, you know, and so I kind of moved away from Harry that. Potter line, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's somebody for everybody. Um, but as I begin to kind of re-engage this stuff, I mean, it was it was it was God or the universe pulling that out of me. Was, I didn't initiate that; they initiated it. Yeah, you know, it was like this involuntary initiation. Yeah, um, when the universe called you, and um, but when I begin to experience this, I begin to kind of make peace with it. No, those hours aren't wasted, even though those are different paradigms. Yeah. That exactly. I was planting seeds that are just blossoming into something else right now, and so it kind of you opened me back up now. to that. I can ex- I can spend time, you know, doing this work that some people might consider in- indulgent in terms of my own meditation practice, my own research. It's psychologically into, healthy. Into a, if nothing else, I yeah. mean, like there in in I'm in, I don't know much about psychology, but I know my uh, my, my my wife's stepfather's mother. Um, teaches mindfulness to children in inner city schools and she uses these books called uh, a year of living mindfully and a year of living with more compassion by richard fields phd but it says the daily affirmations toward mindfulness daily affirmations toward uh, toward increase of compassion and so these are concepts that you know like just take out anything that seems religious and you're left with the essence of basically buddhism and you know and and most of Christianity and, uh, well, you know, most of the essence of Christianity, you know, you, you, and not everybody yelling on the radio necessarily, you know, but, uh, but, you, know, you mentioned but the impact of, of yoga in pulling you out of your head and, and kind of reopening yeah. up to that. That's kind of what kickstarted my spirituality yeah. after this rationalistic period. Right. I was doing yoga at a gym, really secular, like this is for giving you a tight abs. Yoga. Yeah. But because I'd been attuned from, from years of prayer and meditation in my other tradition. Right. As soon as I went to corpse pose, I had a vision. Yeah. Um, I had a vision that I was a child lost in the forest, and an old man took me by the hand and led me to his fire and said, Here, take some food, stay warm by the fire. And eventually he led me out of the forest to to a river, and there was a little boat like a, where the, the, the boat pilot 
like they just used as, as ferry boats back in the old days across rivers, was coming to this side of the bank, and it was Jesus. And the old man lifted me up and said, here you go, I found your lost child. And I was sad to see this little man go. By the way, he's a little Indian man that had, had found me in the forest. I was sad to see him go, but I was glad to reconnect with Jesus. And then he was taking me across this river. And in a way, that was the first experience I had that broke me out of this rationality to help me re-engage my soul. Hmm. And, and eventually, that led to my own Vipassana practice and, and readings of Yogananda. Yeah. I mean, his commentary on the Gospel of John op- reopened me to Jesus. Yeah. Um, and to what these deeper meanings of the Christ experience oh, yeah, yeah. in the collective conscious. There's a beautiful tradition in the Golden Dawn, I have to admit, that it's it's kind of like there's a, there's a stark contrast with when when it gets ugly between people mm-hmm. in the Golden Dawn, um it gets it, it gets so ugly. But when it gets beautiful, it gets so beautiful. Like when you mm-hmm. can have a shared experience of such a very specific and focused energy where you spend years working with final hay and then you spend years working with vav and then you spend years working with the first hay and then you spend years working with yod then you start to invoke the shin and then it finally all comes together into yeshua and you've realized that all of these pagan paths you've walked over your course in the golden dawn you were initiated into egyptian mythos you were egyptian you were initiated as a priest in the ancient tabernacle as a samothracian kabiri as a, a an indian you got into jainism with the tatwas you got into right, arabic right. geomancy you got into all this stuff and it all finally came together into focus of the real meaning of what saint paul talks about when he talks about the the different parts of the body of christ all operating together as the actual embodiment of what maybe we could call the 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 the, the cosmic christ yes. the real co- the, the cosmic consciousness because if if the body of god is the universe then yeah you know i mean like you could read saint paul and say yeah we're all parts of the body of god yeah we Preach are it, brother. but then like the, the yeah yeah but then other times it's like Amen. you know in a particular context it's like yeah and you're not you know but that's the part where it's like okay that's where you're stupid because in the kabbalah the keter is one ararita is one tiferet is beauty and it's everything so when when you get into the klipot the the evil anti-manifestation of the tree of life keter is no longer one it's duality it's the essence of duality two contending forces and then when you get into tiferet instead of beauty it's the disputers the uh the the not the debaters not the constructive criticizers not the let's have a conversation and share our ideas and get you know different points of view the disputers the ones who know it's this no it's this that's pride that's the heart of God up against another heart of God making each other miserable for no reason other than just the devil, you, you know? You described your, your order in a very, uh, in, a, in a way that makes sense with me growing up with the Christ yeah. narrative being very and, well, and then everybody gets to go be hypocrites and do all the things that the, that <laughs> the teachings that, tell you not to do. Is that the case in the mainstream Christian church? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, initiation. I'm still trying to figure out what, what the use of initiation is. And I know that in the Indian tradition, that yogis, you know, in a really deep tantric tradition, you have to have a yoga, I'm a yogi. I'm planning uh, to do that at yeah, some I mean, point. A, a guru, you have you to know, have a guru. Yeah. Um, and, the, like, nobody really initiated me. I guess, I mean, Jen did maybe, but yeah. I didn't go through a ritual and march around candlesticks wearing a fancy robe. Right. But, but I, I don't know, I feel like in a weird way, like, um, maybe because I grew up Pentecostal, and it's, yeah. 
and even though it's conservative in some ways, it's a radically it's incredibly anarch- magical. It's a radically anarchistic movement that's yeah. very magical, very experiential. Yeah. I mean, it's funny when I kind of moved away from that. I got into punk rock, you know, in the Burning Man community, which is all about collective orgiastic. Holy Spirit! Yeah, yeah. Similar to yeah. a group room full of people speaking in tongues. Yeah. And just this wild frenzy. Totally. And, except um, better. Except doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't yeah. Know. Um, in a way, part of being Pentecostal is almost being suspicious mm. of initiatory experiences. Well, or, it's a com- com- competition. Or, or like That's why Scientology figure. doesn't like uh, psychology, because it's competition. It's a different school of the same kind of thought. It's, okay. um, so, so Pentecostal cult isn't going to want you to get involved in a, a different kind of cult. They want right. you to call the Holy Spirit this way, not... Not like they do over there, you know, at the the church across town, or especially not something that's, you know, not even, let's say, Christian, maybe. So can, can you be initiated without form? Initiated without form. Okay, well, that's interesting. Now, okay, there's like, blah, 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 too many, there's a lot of thoughts happening. Okay, so, so now I'm used to, because, like, what I tend, what tends to be, there aren't a lot of people who, who, who speak with a whole lot of authority about what the traditional Golden Dawn uh, practices are. I'm, I, I, I do it, but if anybody's out there listening to me, they're probably going, no, no, because that's the nature of so like, traditional Golden Dawn So there's like Golden Dawn fundamentalists. Yeah. Like the Curie Falwell of Golden Dawn is out there somewhere in his mom's yeah. basement saying, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> but there might be some people that agree with me, but that doesn't mean they're right or that I'm right. You know, that, but... Uh, oh, why, why Golden Dawn? Well, it's what I'm used to. Okay. That's oh, so the it's thing. your home tradition, just like Pentecostal. Exactly. So when people right, have right. questions, that's usually what I'm talking about. So if if someone were to ask me what's the use of Golden Dawn initiation, then basically I'm stumped. I'm I'm left scrounging. I'm like, well, what's the use of playing D and D? Do you like it? Well, yeah. Well, then fucking get initiated. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're talking about actual initiation, like real initiation, well, then that's a different question. I think that. Uh, Initiation happens when the when the DMT releases in your brain or in your mother's brain when you're 49 days old, but as a zygote or as a before you're pre-embryo embryonic or whatever. I think that being born is surely an initiation. I think that cesarean babies miss out a little bit on that initiation, but they get a different initiation. You and know, uh, that that resonated with me so much because my firstborn son and I told you the child is the father of the man. Mm. He becoming a father was the abs- most absolutely transformative experience. My first child was born Caesarean, and I had that distinct feeling that something in him was feeling that lack, mm. that he didn't get to fully experience it. Right. And I, 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 I think that, that... I wonder. I mean, some psychologists even talk about birth trauma that gets kind of lodged yeah. into it in our subconscious. Well, what if you don't get it? What if you yeah. just are in the womb, and then one day they take you out, and you're not? What a trip. Because, I mean, yeah, when I did my regression stuff, I got to a primal scream and a, and a feeling of being, like, and like in a tube. And, and, and maybe for people like that, initiatory experiences are, are, are very helpful because it allows them to experience the completed uh, journey. That cathartic experience the they cathartic never experience got. The cathartic experience of completing the journey. And, and being I wonder. I wonder if they're like skydivers and hang gliders and you know birdmen and you know yeah, thrill seekers and uh, well, it'd be an interesting statistic to look into. Yeah, it's uh, nice to meet a fellow second generation Aquarian. It's nice, nice to meet a kindred spirit. Yeah, I feel and, uh, much more home in yeah in uh, Eagle Rock. Um, 
I, I really had a hard time leaving Las Vegas. There was that whole Aquarian energy. Las Vegas? That's I, not Las Vegas. Los Feliz. Oh! I, I had a hard time leaving Los Feliz because, you know, the whole Aquarian energy. The Oaks, isn't it? No, no, that's Las Robles. What's Las Feliz? What does that mean? Do you know? The Happy. The Happy. Los Feliz. Well, I mean, that's where the father house Feliz was. Navidad. It's by the Hillhurst Interest. I think Z called that the mother house, the big brown one. Like, I walked over there when I lived there. Right. And I was, and, but, but it looks different than it did then. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's just that Aquarian energy. You know, yeah. I talked to Jen about, you know, when, when I, as soon as I moved here, I felt this. And you, this thing called out to me. You guys left a quantum footprint, a quantum shadow that's yeah. still there. Yeah. And so when I left Los Feliz and moved to Eagle Rock, I really missed that. Yeah. I kind of went through a bit of a depression. You know, and then I was reading that everything in life moves through experience, ex- through periods of expansion and contraction. You know, constantly expanding and contraction, just like your breath. Yeah. And I was definitely going through a major contraction period when when I moved here. And it, it's great to see that that Aquarian energy is is here in the Earth where I live too. Yeah. I I think that that should be the next you know thing we should plan for is we should get in touch with Jin and see if we can get him on Skype. Yeah. And then we can say, hey, Jin, you know, like. Give us a class, you know, or something. I don't know, you know. Or we could just all banter or something, you know. We could yeah. all just talk, and and uh, I think it'll be fun. Yeah. How many Aquarians uh, live currently here in Los Angeles that you know? They're in the oh wow, I know of Z and his daughter and his wife, um, and uh, wow, I don't know if I've met any other. Aquarians around. Here. I met Z randomly at Occupy. Oh, cool! Um, I helped. I helped, helped organize the May First General Strike. Um, uh-huh. Uh huh. And um, I was kind of carrying up the back of the march. I was kind of taking over downtown on May First. Um, and he was standing on the sidewalk, and I recognized him immediately. Nice. I mean, just from from the book, you know, actually, or just I just that's him. It's like, oh no, not Jen. Sorry, Zarathustra. Right. Um, and I recognized Zarathustra immediately. Um. I mean, he just, just this big guy, you know, just... Yeah, I love he looked, Z. He looked like the second coming of Father Yod, and it's yeah. so funny that you... Did you give him that I name? posted... Oh, Father, yeah, it's funny. Nobody's clicking like on that. I wonder if they, they think that I'm serious. I mean, not, not that I'm saying that he's replacing Father Yod, but in the context of the Tenth Commandment, everybody's supposed to play, replace Father Yod. That's the whole... <laughs> freaking point it's like you don't just pick one part of the branching of a tree and say that's the father you you, you know it happens every time that forks you and know, branches that's another thing i've been thinking about and why i'm probably a little bit resistant to authority figures doing initiations um in the 60s that period towards the end of pisces mm-hmm. they, they needed that yeah they needed the guru they yeah needed to the, transition they, they needed the cult leader yeah but but in our generation um that doesn't work for us. Like a guru just can't be convincing to the to generation right. X and, 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 and the millennials. Right. But I think that's part of the whole process of Father Yod becoming all of us becoming Father Yod. Yeah. That there's this exponential this exponential spreading of, of the Aquarian energy. As yeah. Shifting it well, from and if if Pisces we to Aquarian, if we Aquarius. shift our energy away from trying to convince the idiots at the coffee house that there's anything substantial to what we're into, and we shift it toward a healthier lifestyle and more yoga and more meditation and more practice and and more reaching out to 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 you know, then it's it's sort of like it it they 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 can either eventually go well, all right, I guess you know maybe I'll play play a little, you know, or or not, you know, I mean you know, there's plenty of space 
for people to to insist that there's no magic if they want to. There's plenty of places for them to hang out and do that. Um, so, the word magic that that's another word that I had baggage with growing up. Right. I think I'll search magic equals Satanism, of course. Yeah. And uh, you know, sacrificing kids. You don't like that. Right. Um, but um, and and even as somebody that's grown a lot warmer to to uh, the, the richness and depth of occult symbols um, and, and, and these orders like the Rosicrucian movement, which, which I kind of resonate, resonated a lot with during yeah. this transitional period, yeah. even though I never sought it out and got initiated because of my not liking the authority. Right. But um, our generation, the Generation X, <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, they can't find a convincing guru. Yeah. But, but it's because we've internalized it. And, and that's the nature of paradigm shifts. Even Thomas Kuhn talks about that yeah. uh, in his Sociology of Science, that um, when a paradigm shift happens, the, the paradigm shift that's happening assumes the previous paradigms, and that's why it's a successful paradigm, mm. because it assumes it and reorders it in a more coherent fashion. Well, here's a couple of thoughts, just about words. And uh, one of the names of Thoth, words from silence. Okay. Okay, what am Thoth, I talking words about? From silence. Thoth, words from silence. Which words, words, okay. words. Words like cult. The cults of Isis back in the day that became early Christianity. Um, they were a group of people who shared a common belief and practice. And they called them cults. And that's basically what the word has always meant. Up until you have your Jimmy Jones, your, well, uh, right. Gannon says I should say Jim Jones, because Jimmy sounds yeah, like a Yeah, fucking Jim buddy. Jones killed but, the uh, 60s, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and Charles Manson, and right. the, the bad cults. And so then now the word cult has a bad connotation. Now, guru is a Sanskrit word. Gu, meaning uh, confusion, and ru, meaning clarity. So, oh. so the one who makes the confusion clear, the mm -hmm. one who clarifies what you're confused about. I have a very dark question. This is something mm. I struggle with. Um, does Airby Woodstock demand that there's also an Altamont? <laughs> no, I don't think see, so. Like, I mean, yeah, I see what you mean. I see. What you I mean, mean there, there's but... this polarity that civilization kind of if, inevitably with the internet it contracts with. If if we had had internet, then Mick Jagger would have known. That it was the Oakland Hells Angels that are cool, not the fucking Los Angeles Hells Angels. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. So these days, no, you don't need to have an alt mod because there's no excuse for ignorance. Oh, so that led me to my fear of authority, fear of authority saying, oh, I've, because when I was a kid, I saw prophecy abused. Self proclaimed prophets, you know, the old lady in church is saying, God's telling me to tell you not to date that girl. She's bad news. Uh, and you're like, okay, God said that, so I guess I have to listen. And so I saw people becoming very authoritarian with their right, prophecies yeah. and words of knowledge in the Pentecostal church. Yeah. So even though I'm more open to the idea of magic, I'm still apprehensive about it because I'm like, well, that goes people, on. Is this people manipulating yeah. each other and saying, yeah. oh, the universe wants us to sleep Sometimes together, it is, you know, yeah. Are you supposed to do this or that? That know? does go on, yeah. So it's good to be wary of that. And what does magic even mean from your tradition? Like, like well, my tradition, we believe in miracles. We say right. miracles. Yeah. These are out of the ordinary experiences. Yeah. But we would never use the word magic because magic feels like you're you're manipulating something. Like it's instead true. of allowing God to change, instead of allowing God to change you, you're trying to change God. Which, which, from my tradition, yeah, that's like that's where you're going to get screwed up. Well, okay. Strictly speaking, if I were to, if I'm really going to nerd out, um, the uh, the energy in one sense flows down. The uh, p the pillar of mercy, the white pillar, right? Right, right? And then it flows back up the severe pillar, which is why it's severe, because, you know, a bug, a bug doesn't want to get squished and end up going back to heaven. So the magician 
is the one who's about to get reabsorbed into Keter. And he's reconciling light and darkness. And so he's got one hand jacked into Keter, and one hand that out of which is being manifested everything in the universe and everything in all of creation. So it's not that he is doing it, it's that God is doing it through him. It's that there's, okay. there's like, for example, this, this here is the place where, where, uh, it's called the perfect path, Hode, mm -hmm. uh, and it's the place where, um, the ability to conceive of the totality of everything happens. And so you ask, you mean for people or for God? Yes. It's where that happens. So, say, say the so God, about totality again. Okay, so, so when Hode, you can look at the whole tree of life and go, oh, that's where God does that. That's right. where we do that. See, here's the problem I had. The, the hmm. only time I ever really got thrown into the wall on, mm -hmm. on a psychedelic meditation um, was when I was reading uh, Carl Jung's Red Book. And there's the picture of the tree, the gorgeous tree with mm -hmm. the roots going out of the ground, you know, and the, and the dragon down here and, you know, emanations from heaven up here. Um, and I was reading about the Gnostic concept of the plemra, the all, hmm. which is close to the silence. Uh, are you familiar with the term hmm. the plemra? Not very it's, much. It's, it's the everything. It's like the Tao, which right. contains the light and the dark forces. Um, but for some reason during that meditation, I, I felt like I, and this could be my, my evangelical baggage, but I felt like I'd been like over-demanding uh, upon the experience. And I wanted to experience the plemra, you know, all of this. The above yeah, and the below. Yeah. The, the dirt and the rot that the tree grows from, too. And I got thrown into the wall. Mm. It, it was it was a horrifying experience. And and I feel like when I talk about, when I hear people uh, in these orders talking about becoming Christ, you know, um, or or even the Greek Orthodox tradition, which is my great-grandparents were from. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they talk about, uh, there's a word Emulating for, Christ. Well, there's a word for actually becoming unified with Christ. Oh. That's a little bit closer to the Eastern tradition. Theosis. Theosis, right. Yeah. But even though I was aware of that, I still have trouble with, with ever wanting to take on too much because I feel like that's where a person opens themselves up to the demonic, as it were. Right. The, and it's, it's that classic oh, yeah. Greek mythology thing of, of, oh, I can handle that fire. Yeah. And, and not, and I guess I, I want to always be aware and accepting of my own limitations. And know that this is, this is this is where I'm supposed to be, yeah. and this is grounding, staying you know grounded. Um, whereas trying to step above that when I wasn't ready, yeah, that just opening myself up for bombard spiritual bombardment. I think you know? being an eternal student helps. Um, in uh, there's this one particular sutra that I like from um, the Suryangama Sutra, Volume Eight. Uh, Buddha is talking to Ananda and tells him. That uh, that when you meditate for a long long enough, you know he starts giving him examples of things that are going to start to happen. Like uh, you're going to realize that you're one of the millions of Buddhas throughout all the ages who have been and will come, and here you are now, and you're all together meditating. And there's one great Om, and it's the sound of the universe, and it's going to be a really good stage. And as long as you don't think you're a sage, then you'll pass through it, and it'll be fine. But if you think you're a sage at this point, you'll be vulnerable to the demon's influence. Next. Oh. And then he says, next, you know, this will happen. 
you'll you realize is this that the you, Tibetan Book of the Dead? No, this is Suryangama Sutra. Okay. Um, uh, and so he says, next you'll um, realize that every time you take a step, you're killing life, and that life devours life, and you'll start to weep and weep, and it'll be a good stage, and you'll get through it just fine. But if you think you're a sage at this point, you'll be vulnerable to the demon's influence. And that's what he used, you'll be vulnerable to demons? Yeah, you'll be vulnerable to the demon's, plural, influence. That resonates. This Keep going. Yeah, I mean, it just basically it goes on and on like that about all the different really profound levels of spiritual awakening you're going to mm-hmm. experience as you go along your path. But if at some point in your path you turn around and say, okay, I have now arrived and I'm ready to start taking disciples, that's when the demons have taken over. I think this is where this comes down to brass tacks in some ways. Me growing up Pentecostal talking to you, a cultist, is, um, and this might resonate even with some of the the listeners if they come from a similar background, um, is that we saw there being two forces in the universe, the force of God and the force of the devil. Mm. And fortune tellers, occultists, if they were getting stuff and it wasn't from our version of God, well, now now I realize these people who say they're their version of God, but you heard that's the, the smallest possible emanation. In yeah. fact, nowadays I consider that the traditional Gnostic uh, demigod, the demiurge, the yeah. demiurge, yeah, you know, yeah. the lesser emanation that that's all about aggression and possessiveness, jealousness, jealousy, yeah, yeah. the jealous god. Um, but but anyway, there's still that baggage though of, of the demonic and what does that mean? Right. Yeah. And like, I even had a client walk into I, I work as a psychologist at a, uh, the clinic, and the first thing he said triggered my own paranoia was, um, my, my dad was a something-something mason, higher order. Uh, he was all into that shit. Opened me up to demons. Mm. And, um, I mean, by, by all... His mom clearly told him that he was... That opened him up to demons. You know, that's that's yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's definitely he didn't, hypothesis. He didn't mention the mom. But, that's uh, definitely a hypothesis I came up with. Yeah. But, but my first gut was just like, oh, all that baggage. Grandma, from, maybe. Yeah. Oh my God, this stuff is demonic. This stuff is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Until I, I understood what symbols really do. Right. And what these things really mean and the interplay of the collective unconscious with the individual consciousness. People of the Lie by Scott Peck is a very interesting book and especially he was in your line of work. Right. Um, and uh, he he asks the question, what is human evil? Is, you know, I mean, it, it's not a psychological question usually. You know, it's a, they'll say, well, malignant narcissism. They'll use mal, which is yeah. the Latin for evil, but they, in the word ignorant, you know, malignant <laughs> narcissism. That's great. But, we use uh, the Latin word for evil. Yeah, yeah, but they're not the English word. And so he's asking, using the English word, and he's also a Christian mystic a bit. And so he's, uh, he's talking from that standpoint, and he's witnessed, um, exorcisms and so he he's analyzing the exorcism as a psychologist who's into christian mysticism so i mean it's interesting scott peck uh md i think he yeah. passed away so how do you guys see demons and oh and how do you how do you see how, magic? Do, how does golden like, dawn like in pentecostal circles everything's about angels and demons fighting well you have to understand my role but, my role for many years yeah. was the to speak as the voice of the tradition of golden dawn And so whenever anybody would ask me a question, I'd say, I have to answer that twice. I'll answer first as the premonstrator, and then I'll answer as BT. And and, and they were never the same answer. So when you say, what do you guys think? I can give you one answer that nobody thinks. I mean, do you guys do miracles? Do you guys heal people? Do you... Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean... Yeah, that's kind of like the sad part. That's the But that's the part where they get you. That's where the cult leader says, yeah, but if you leave... Then how will the six of us heal people of AIDS like we did that guy, you know? And so then you start to feel all kinds of guilt, like, 
God wants you to stay here at the table with us, giving us 10% of your income. You know, like, so it's, it's creepy and weird. And so you start to like, you know, it starts to help like embracing, you know, like, uh, reincarnation rather than uh, this urgency to go around healing bodies and stuff like that. And I had a teacher named Gordon who was, uh, he would always say, oh, stop with your healing meat bodies. Get out of your, he was, he was a trained Scientologist as well as being a trained Zen practitioner um, under Suzuki back in the 60s. And so that's where I got a lot of that background. My dad uh, and my mom were both trained in EST, Earhart Seminars Mm -hmm. training, and he was trained by Scientology. So I got Scientology from Directly and indirectly. That, that's a in very training. That there's a the larger branch of Gnosticism does see the whole meat body thing and get out of this meat body and right. don't get caught up in it. But there was a whole other branch called the Therapeutae, right. an Alexandrian branch that was much more about using psychedelic substances and using using uh, healing agents to heal the physical body right. as well. Which mm. to me resonates with as above so beneath. Right. And biblically and, that would be pharmakia, which is forbidden though, uh, but. Biblically, you know, you were talking about one kind of magic versus another kind of magic. Uh-huh. Um, there's the the sorcerer, the evil sorcerer, who does divination yeah. and throws bones and, to and, find out the future to make for money. Us, for us, magic means spells that make stuff happen. Right. And and the uh, where the other one is the prophet of Yod Vav Hey, who's who's uh, in the name of Yod Vav Hey doing a divination to find out what God wants for us. That kind of thing. Which so is, that's different. Which than, in mainstream Christianity is. That's a, fine. A yeah. normal pastoral role. Well, at least in the Bible it was. Maybe right. they, they wouldn't encourage their parishioners to go out and do and throw bones, but it was yeah. okay in that one instance where the guy did it and it was for, for whoever. <laughs> well, but, in uh, the book of Judges, God told people to do some weird, weird shit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There was some eating of some feces, if I recall correctly. But Of course, I also see that God is out of the lot. Johannes okay. Trithemius was the teacher of Henry Agrippa. Henry Agrippa was famous for bringing occultism to the world. His teacher was the father of the Benedictine order. You were talking about you were surprised that this came from a Jesuit. Right. Um, let me and were these the Ros- the Rosicrucian order was within the well, Jesuit order, right? The, well, the Rosicrucian order is hard to pin down, but these are real people. Okay. Um, they, I mean, okay, for example, the, the Christian Rosencruz, the mythological Christian Rosencruz, he we, it's, he's hard to pin down. You don't you like maybe he's based on real people, maybe not. But Johannes Trithemius actually did uh get raised in a, a cloister and 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 you know he was from a noble german family but was poor and learned greek and latin at a young age and then he traveled and met a mysterious stranger and then he he didn't travel to damascus and get the name crc he came back to wherever the fuck city it was and he uh he became a monk in the benedictine order which already existed but then he within a year became the abbot at the age of 21 and then he turned that into the largest library in germania at the time and it was uh basically a cultural heart of northern europe and he was the teacher of henry agrippa and he had a little secret chamber in the back and when he was accused by the catholic church of being a black magician he said i practice no other magic than the magic of the love of christ i love that I want that quote on my wall. Yeah. So, so there we are. The, the term Look magic, up Johannes Trithemius. The yeah. term magic is a real hang-up. Yeah. I mean, if you really want to bring the best good of, of this, I wonder... But he did practice the should... magic of the love of Christ, yeah. though. He, he wrote right. down all the angelic correspondences we use in the Golden Dawn. That's right. what he was doing. So, so, if you're seeking to make converts... I mean, that's a, once again, I'm speaking from evangelical baggage. Right, right. You know, they get all excited and says, we should get everybody learning this. Yeah, I know. Okay. I've been there. Yeah. But uh, if, if you were trying to translate your experience to somebody from my neck of the woods back in Kentucky, you know, 
Uncle Jim from Possum Trot. It's a real town. <laughs> um, how you would probably have to replace the word magic with a different word. Probably. What would you What would you call it if you didn't call it magic? Well, shit. I mean, who uh, Who am I talking to? Is this someone who Uncle Jim from Possum Who actually does the snake thing? Like um, he doesn't do the snake thing, but he has another cousin who does. Right. Um, they do everything else. They speak in tongues. They go into spasmic fits and go running around the church. And this is interesting. I used to see people going to these complete frenzies and throw themselves on the platform and run a full sprint around a church full of people, half the people that were on the ground because a common experience was getting slain in the spirit, hmm. where the, the preacher would come over and be like, Receive yeah. the Holy Spirit! <laughs> and then the person would fall down. Um, and so the, it's, it's like a Civil War battlefield. Uh, There's bodies all over the floor in front of the church. I guess and the I answer not, is you I've don't. Seen, I've seen people run with their eyes closed, leaping yeah. over the people on the floor and dodging beings with their eyes closed. I think these it, states of Holy Spirit uh, fullness. I think that, you know, like, when you're in L.A., sometimes it becomes a question, well, why is secrecy relevant anymore? But if you're in a place like that, yeah, it is. Maybe you don't want to say magic to them. Right, right. You know, I mean, if if you're um, talking about building a worldwide community, the, the wait a generation or two. You know, like some people don't want it. Some people, you know, some people are going to resist it. So you can't force it on people. You know, like I, I, you got to give people their space to be different and resist. I think in a way that now, I mean, I've come to see. I have my evangelical baggage, you know, uh, but I've come to see a lot of this as something that doesn't even have to be spread. Consciously or directly, because it just it's, gets, it's it already spreads. there. It's yeah. going to happen. It, it's doing it. Yeah, and we're just the part of it that's realizing it right now. And I, I really do believe the that the meat body technology, the computer we're recording this on, I believe it's all part of it. Yeah, I don't see that as separate from the spirit. I, I right. see on a very quantum level that every atom that makes up that monitor is yeah. spirit on some fundamental level, yeah. and that. Um, as we continue to grow in our consciousness, that that will manifest in physical forms in terms of new technology. I mean, call me an optimist, but that's how I see the world evolving. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's all part of it. I mean, I think that one thing that um, is rough for people from a Christian background is we, you know, get taught God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And uh, and that kind of contradicts some of, of the other things, like, for example, in the Golden Dawn, we say, you know, Lord of Light and the Darkness. Uh, you are, the like, Lord over the Light and the Darkness. Like, the neocortex is the Lord over the hypothalamus and the amygdala, or something, you know? <laughs> um, but the, uh, the, the uh, to, so to say, oh, God is only good, and Satan is evil. Evil only exists in Satan, but if you ask a Jewish Kabbalist, they have a different tree of life designed by a guy named uh, uh, Luria. I don't actually, but uh, but but they would call this the sphere of evil, the sphere of Geburah, the sphere of evil, what and the sphere. Is that? Of, uh, this is number five. Okay. Then this is number four. Number four would be good. Number five would be evil. Now in Golden Dawn we wouldn't call it that because for us evil is below Malkuth. Well, uh, Woodstock's on the right, Altamont's on the left. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and but I mean you need them both. And if, it, but I mean, there's so many ways to look at the tree of life, and that's the beauty of it. Is like, don't get locked into one way to look at the tree of life, because there's yeah, so many yeah. ways. Uh, you know, like those, those names they put on Boda, I mean, just thinking about those as a kid, and thinking about memory and will. Memory and will. So the blue one is memory, and the red one is will. And so then thinking about that later, okay, well maybe Tiferet in the middle, maybe that, maybe that's present time, and then the blue one is the past, and then the red one is the future. So, 
You need memory in order to have will. So, like, in the beginning, I am. Okay, great. And then, you know, a billion years later, I still am. Great. But then you have memory. And then, oh, I was. Oh, I what? What am I going to do next? That's the first time that question comes up. You don't have the future until you have the past. And the past doesn't exist. The past is just a mirror, a trick, a trick with mirrors in the present. But once you have it, then you have will. Then you have, then you can move down the tree of life. That's, that's a beautiful depiction of, of the I am as he reveals himself to Moses. Um, yeah, the and the flaming sword, yeah. yeah. And then, because then you have, well, then then the funny thing, well, funny, <laughs> it's a really transcendental use of the word funny, is uh, is is then you have Tiferet, you have the beauty, it's like this whole hexagram has come together, and it's everything makes perfect sense. But then you dip below that, into the ast- into the waters below the firmament, on the, you know, yeah. the firmament the, between the ripples of water of Aquarius, and then you get into the astral waters, and you're separate from God, and then there's two of you, and one of you has tits, and the other one has a peepee, and it's like, oh my God, and so you have Venus, you know, so then you have desire. So is, is that the Melchior characters at the base of um, a lot of the occult art that I see? Yeah. And then there's basically this hermaphrodite Yeah. Character. Well, I'm just using the example in this example. I mean, I because you could, yeah, you can kind of go... You can travel wherever you want to in Kabbalistic correspondences, but in this particular usage of, of, of what I'm talking about is when you separate from God, you re- want to be united with God. When you're one with God, you're one with God. So one who's one with God, like all the initiations to make you Osiris, make you Jesus, make you the oneness, the theosis, the gnosis, whatever, you become, you become, you, you center yourself in the heart of the tree of life. But when you want that, when you're wanting it and wanting it and wanting it, you're here. You gotta keep wanting it. So someone who thinks, oh, I've arrived, I don't need to want it anymore, is actually just sinking back down here. But if you keep wanting it, then, then you keep rising. And this is reason over here. So, so you can get stuck in reason. You got to break down the tower to get out of reason and, right. and get into desire. And that's that's what yoga did for me. Yeah. I don't know that for you, but yeah. I was so stuck in my head in grad school. Mm-hmm. Yoga pulled me out of my head and back into my body. Nice. Special thanks to David J. Haskins and all of Love and Rockets. Special thanks to Neil and Frater CCP, the Esoteric Nerd's first two patrons. This is, after all, listener-sponsored radio. Special thanks to the monks at Mount Koyasan, to Jin Aquarian for giving Silence and I something in common to bring us together to have this conversation tonight. And always special thanks to you who took the time to listen to this episode. Episode 16 will be coming out very shortly. The interview is already in the can. It is with Hart Williams, who worked with Andrew DePassano probably longer than any other living person. It will be the first of, hopefully, several interviews with heart. 
Also around the corner, this Thursday at 1pm, I'll be interviewing very honored frater Yod Shin Yod and very honored soar MDS of Thuban Temple, number one Hermetic Society of the Golden Dawn in Canada, number one Unified Order of the Golden Dawn in the Americas. Frater Yod Shin Yod is also the author of Adept Magic, so we're looking forward to that. Isis Aquarian will be on here, and Mark Williams. He and I have the same tattoo and filthy sense of humor. That should be fun. Have a good night, everyone. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us, and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Oh.